You tuned in to Relationship Factor, where we talk about all things relationships for millennials, moving you from a problem to solution, from functional to exceptional relationships. I'm your host, Kingsley Moyo. Hey, thanks again for downloading another episode of Relationship Factor. If we are not already connected, I hang out a lot on Instagram. Find me. Uh, the handle is Relationship Factor. Occasionally, they are dropping some relationship nuggets that will pick you up and carry you throughout the week and some helpful tips on how to build healthy relationships. On this episode, I'm joined by Keith Wilson. Keith is an executive coach, a speaker, an organizational consultant with over 19 years of engaging and developing productive teams. Keith looks for greatness in everyone and he's he's on a mission to help teams uncover some new ways of leveraging their unique strengths. In this episode, Keith and I talk about how to have productive relationships and the core really, the ingredients of how couples can leverage their strength in order to be able to build or restore broken trust and to be able to really tag their relationship as a productive relationship. Join me for this conversation. Everybody wants to be in a productive relationship. And really, who goes into a relationship thinking, you know, oh, I'm just wilding up time until I hit 30, 40. I don't know. I'm just wilding up time until I graduate. You want to be in a relationship that's productive, that's going to give to you and where you're going to give in. And sometimes it's not always clear what a productive relationship looks like. And we're talking about productive relationships, learning how to build trust and collaboration. Keith, tell me, what does a productive relationship look like? Yeah, thank you, Kingsley. I think productive relationship really is a relationship with positive and meaningful results. Maybe more simply put, it's a relationship that is mutually beneficial. So it's moving towards something um, that benefits us both um, and the world around us. That's really the hope. And I think any relationship really is one where it seems funny to think about, uh, in some terms, a relationship being productive. People sometimes hear that and think, hmm, can I just Company. be in a relationship, right? Yeah, I just, <laughs> but every relationship has a purpose. I'm going to get something from it. I'm going to give something to it. Um, if it doesn't have a purpose, then why does it exist? You know, and if I can imagine my wife coming home, and I'll use this as an example with people, if uh, she comes home one day and says, you know, Keith, tell me, we've been married 19 years, have four kids. Why, you know, why do we have, um, why are you in a relationship with me? And if I answer, <laughs> say, hmm, no reason, you know, like that, that wouldn't, <laughs> she wouldn't like that response, I'm sure. Not at all. <laughs> yeah, because there's a reason we're together. There's a purpose behind it. Um, if there wasn't, why would it exist? So why would it? It's interesting you mentioned that it has to be mutually beneficial, mm -hmm. and it also have to benefit the people of the world around us. Because there's this idea sometimes when you hear people having a conversation, we're just doing us. It's just me and my boo, and it it it, it creates this idea whereby you are in a circle, mm -hmm. and you're locked in. You're not influenced by the outside world and you're not influencing mm -hmm. the outside world. What are the dangers of thinking that way? Yeah, definitely. That's a great way to look at it, Kingsley, because one of the things we'll do with people is 
Uh, and this is the work context. So draw your these circles, concentric kind of circles, but in the middle, who's the closest person or two to you and then outside of that and outside of that. And then we'll ask people to um, draw an arrow. Are they moving closer or moving further away? And that messes with people sometimes because they'll say, well, that one's just stagnant. They don't inherently leave a lot of people just where they are. Uh, but the problem is the world's changing around us. It's always right. moving forward and we're being faced with new challenges, uh, new opportunities, new barriers. And if the world's moving forward, if I stop, then I have just regressed, right? It can't, mm. it has to be moving forward or backward. And, and the same thing, kind of thinking work culture, like a relationship, it's either moving forward or it's moving backwards. Uh, it's not stagnant. Stagnant is moving backwards. So I think you're right. It, it does feel like I'm just in a bubble and it's okay. But if we're not progressing, it's, it's, it's actually true as well to think that if you think you're in a bubble, you're just fooling yourself because yeah. you can't really exist in a bubble. You're scrolling on social media, you're watching TV, you're going to work, you're going to do groceries. So you're interacting with different people. And let's face it, the way we do relationship is based on what we saw from our parents or what we see yeah. around. And that influences us significantly. And another crucial thing when we talk about productive relationship is this idea of collaboration, mm -hmm. trust and collaboration. There has to be some form of trust and collaboration. How does that factor in the, into having a productive relationship? Mm. Um, it's vital. Vital? Probably the word, right? I mean, <laughs> I like to think of trust sort of as, if you think about your car, right? This is not the best because it's in that <laughs> inanimate object, I guess. But if you think about a car moving forward, right? Um, it's not necessarily the fuel, but it is definitely the grease that greases the wheels, the oil that, right, that um, allows the cylinders to move. It's the thing that, it's the substance that allows things to move freely. Um, if we don't have it, then friction increases, then heat increases, and it slows everything down. And Stephen Covey wrote a book called The Speed of Trust. I don't know if you've seen this. It's really written for kind of corporate context, but he talks about how um, trust is the one thing that changes everything is kind of the catchphrase, and that if trust goes down, then speed will decrease as well, um, and cost will go up. So if trust goes up, then speed goes up. So it, it speeds everything up. It makes things move more freely um, and re definitely reduces friction and tension. <laughs> That's important to anything. So. so trust goes up, the relationship would flourish. If trust mm -hmm. goes down, the relationship will kind of die down as well. Absolutely. Well, and you see when trust goes down as well, you'll see that bitterness creep in mm. um, and yeah, take its toll. We'll start to erode the relationship entirely and it, it becomes painful. And if we underestimate, like you talked about earlier, underestimate the impact I have on others and my relationship to anybody has on others and they have on me. Um, then that certainly creates, we underestimate how much that trust going down will affect everybody around us, right? So I want this trust. I want this collaboration. Mm, yeah. um, how do, how do, what do we even begin with this stuff? Like, so, we, so we've been married 20 years, five years, three years, or we've been in a relationship dating for uh, two years. Maybe now we're contemplating on getting engaged. So what do we even begin with this trust and collaboration? So yeah, what do we even begin? Or if it has been broken, how do we restore that? What do we mm. begin? How do we restore? Yeah, I think those are two separate but related questions for sure, right? That to begin doing it and to restore it, um, trust really starts with clarity. Uh, when we talk about building trust in any relationship, any organization, we have to start with being clear about what we expect of each other, 
people trust what's clear and they distrust what's vague. So we have to be clear first about those expectations and then follow through on those things. But we also have to give in that space of we're clear about the expectation. We have to have the freedom to set that commitment together. So trust isn't built if I if I come to somebody and say, hey, I need you to get this done by 3 p.m. today, whether it's a direct report of mine or my 15-year-old, right? Um, if they don't have the ability to say, oh, okay, but you know, I've got this project for our A client that's due today at four. Do you want me to just push that out the window to work on your thing? <laughs> or my daughter to say, okay, but I've got an important midterm tomorrow. And if I pause to do that, then I'm probably going to get a C on that. Maybe, you know, like, okay, <laughs> now I'm giving you the freedom to kind of doubt and to dialogue openly. Right. So clarity about what we expect of each other, um, commitment and following through builds trust, but we have to also be open in uh, understanding each other and listening well to seeing how things impact. So, yeah, start. So th th this this takes some time then, because mm -hmm. trust is built over time. Certainly, and yeah. as you were talking, the word that kept on popping up in my mind was vulnerability. Mm -hmm. There has to be just enough vulnerability for me to be able to trust or to be able to open up. Because if I'm not vulnerable, it means that I'm putting up walls. You know, sometimes we talk about boundaries in the negative sense that they are walls. No boundaries also enhance relationships. So there's a, some sense of vulnerability that needs to exist in the relationship in there. Yeah. And that's definitely, a, I'm glad you said that. It's a vulnerability builds a tremendous amount of trust to begin with, right? Because I'm a, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, the Enneagram. I'm a three, yeah. which is I'm a, a nine, about, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Three is a lot about uh, performance, you know, showing up and doing and, and kind of putting on a show. <laughs> So it can be very easy for my type to um, not be vulnerable because it would feel like I don't get to put my best kind of image forward. Mm. Uh, but one of the things I've definitely learned in the last 20 years in full-time work is that nothing builds trust better than vulnerability. Um, at the right time and place, right, people can be too much. Mm. Though, especially when you Right time and right place. Yeah, people will often say, what do you mean? I can't be vulnerable at work, you know well, maybe you don't need to tell about your deepest, darkest sin or something. <laughs> but to come into a meeting and say, hey, guys, let's get to work on this project. Can I just pause for a second and say, I'm a little anxious about this because I know how important this client is to us and I really want to deliver at the same time. I'm not 100% certain I know how to do this part of it that I'm committed to doing in a way that I feel like is the best I can do right now, you know, given everything we've got going on. So I'm anxious about that. That builds a tremendous amount of trust in people. Um, I'm not saying I'm not capable. I'm just acknowledging the fact of where I'm at and asking for help. And you'll see people relax in that and say, yeah, I kind of feel like this about that, you know. So there's two ends of it. There's the one who is giving, uh, who is giving, there's the one who's receiving. Mm -hmm. So the one who is giving, yeah, 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 quote unquote, giving the vulnerability um, and the one who is receiving, the one who's receiving, it needs to be in a position whereby they don't shame, they don't blame, yes. they're kind. Yeah. Otherwise, the one who is given the vulnerability, it's going to feel like, ouch, I keep giving, but I keep getting shut down. And in yeah. the end, that becomes traumatic because because oh, I'm yeah. thinking if I do it again, the last time this happened, uh, should I do it again? Yeah. It gets a little bit difficult. What about this idea of weakness? How do we 
get away from this idea of thinking that if I become vulnerable or if I trust, I, I'm, I'm becoming weak because like you were saying, number three, you got to put your best foot forward, show up, deliver. Um, right. If I don't show up and deliver, are they going to think I'm a weak guy or uh, how do you get away from that? Hmm. Well, I could say, I don't know how everybody does. I could say, I could speak to me, I suppose. But um, I know that as a three, I'm, and I want to show up and put my best foot forward and, you know, look like I'm capable. I ask that people, people when I'm coaching is what, if you, if people stood up and said at your funeral, what one thing best describes you, you know, what would you want them to say? What do you want people to believe about you? And mine has always been capable, that mm. word capable that I can do it. Not just that I know how, but I can actually make it happen, which is kind of a truth three thing on the Enneagram to say. Um, so for me, that's been a big lie. I've had to bust in my own thinking mm. um, mindset shift. So I've had to just try it um, and see the value that it brings. Um, and usually when I'm coaching people who are afraid of it, it's often a, what if you did this? You know, what if you went in and said, Hey, I'm just a little, I just acknowledge that I'm a little anxious about this or I'm a little afraid of what could come or I'm unsure of the best way to start off the meeting. You know, just saying that one thing, um, you'll see people respond well. If you haven't done it before, don't be too shocked if they kind of look at you wide-eyed. <laughs> you were finally just vulnerable. But somebody will acknowledge it um, and you'll see that go far. And so I'm amazed how, how it works. So there's some sense of thinking differently. You mm -hmm. have to think differently. Einstein say, keep doing the same thing over the same way. That's the definition. Yeah, you go finish Maybe, that. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to think differently when you're in a relationship. If you keep doing the same thing, and I'm, I'm just thinking right now, that's how relationships get stuck and they don't grow because you keep thinking the same way. There has to be some form of thinking differently because if you think differently means that it's a new challenge. It means that you are growing as a couple think differently, yeah. new challenges, you grow. Once you've reached that, that plateau level, you're thinking, okay, what else can we do? How do we grow? So vulnerability can a way to grow a relationship and grow together as a couple. Absolutely. Yeah. No, yeah. no. It can be easy to settle though. Right. Ah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Very easy to settle. And, and, and when we're talking about settling, it's, you'll find some, not, not all couples move at the same pace. Right. And yeah. one couple might be a go-getter. One couple may be one that's chill, likes to be comfortable in one space in a particular time. Mm -hmm. And there's this default of wanting to fix each other. Mm. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to fix you. I'm going to fix you. What is the danger in trying to fix each other in order to get the other to the same level or to, what is the danger in trying to fix uh, each other? Yeah, I have one. The most profound failure of my marriage um, comes out of that question, really. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll tell that story briefly because I think it informs um, the three inside of me gets panicked right now for a moment. Like, oh, you're going to tell oh. a story about how you feel. <laughs> um, but so my wife and I have been married 20 years, well, 19 years, 19 and a half. And about seven or eight years ago, I came to the realization that I was kind of the person who fixed things. Um, and that we had to come to this point where when she would have a problem, she would mention it to me or talk about it. And then I would, she would hold the problem out like it was a big issue. And even if it was entirely hers, I would then step in and take it from her to try to make better. Yeah. Um, and I found that she felt sort of rescued 
and felt loved because of that. Um, but it certainly wasn't a good thing. It became something unhealthy. And as I realized that, what I realized, I realized it wasn't healthy for me, for her. Um, and the person who helped me realized it, it was a coach of mine. And he said, now, Keith, you need to talk to Kelly about this and bring it up, talk about it openly and realize that it's probably kind of an unwritten contract in your relationship. Mm -hmm. This is how you function. And she's going to be upset when you don't do it. <laughs> so you're gonna have to be really clear about it. So we had that conversation, but it still was a problem, right? It wasn't something that um, we could just <laughs> fix quickly. And even years later realized I came home one day and what happened was there was this, I came into the house and I could tell right away that she was upset. We learned later, been a couple of years of her kind of being depressed. Um, we learned mm. later that she had a um, thyroid problem mm. thrown off her hormones quite a bit and it was causing issues. And I knew that she wasn't in a good place and I was trying not to rescue her and came home and could tell very quickly that it wasn't good. And she kind of launched into this uh, frustration and was directing a lot of it on me, putting a lot of blame on me, um, frustrated that I wasn't picking things up and taking it. And I realized in this moment, I'm thinking, okay, all these issues she has are not things that are my responsibility, not something for me to pick up. It's not, you know, something that I am to be blamed for. And in that moment, I'm sitting there going, okay, what can I take responsibility for? What can I take mm. responsibility for? And the first thing that came to mind was I got home and I noticed she was tense. So I didn't like give her a hug and a kiss and say, Hey, how's your day? You know, and greet her with warmth. I knew she was frustrated. And so I was more cold mm, mm, anticipating the problem. And uh, so I apologized for that. It's like a pie chart where I saw this problem and went, okay, 4% of this could be mine. You know, <laughs> so I own the 4%. And then as we got to talking, I realized, okay, but then when she said this earlier, I responded by saying that, and it was, it was soft, but it was kind of a jab. <laughs> mm, <laughs> like, mm. <laughs> maybe a, you know, a deficiency that maybe I've tried to point out in the past, but it was, you know, glancing. And so then I apologized for that. And then she loosened even more. And we spent an hour and a half talking. Um, and I remember dinner was cooking this whole time and kids running around. And as we got to talking, she said, I guess I'm just really frustrated that I've had this issue and this issue this week. And normally you would just pick that up and take it. And you're not doing that. Mm. And I'm mad at you. And it was like, the light bulb went off and I went, holy crap, here we are again. Like I thought I had 4% of the issue. And then I saw the next thing, and went, maybe it's 11%. And then I heard that <laughs> and I went, uh, I created this entire environment. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Set us up for 15 years for you to feel that way. Um, and that is, I thought it was none, none of it was me, but it turns out that I've created this animal. Um, I've been treating you and training you to behave this way. And man, I have to own all of that. Right. Right. So, right. so there was an awareness, something, something happened in you getting that awareness yeah. that there was a cycle that you created that yep. was, was really un unhealthy and yep. it worked up until a certain yeah. point. <laughs> yes. It didn't work well, <laughs> but it worked. Yeah. It worked. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's always interesting when you listen to couples with, um, especially when they start dating on the first of two years of first two years of their marriage, and because everybody comes from a different home right. and each home, they have their normal and they call their normal. And sometimes the normal that we have in our homes is not necessarily a normal, normal, it's a dysfunctional kind of normal. And we bring it into a relationship 
And one person maybe might have a strong personality, might want to fix everything, fix everything. And that really can cause love burnout mm-hmm. and feeling exhausted that I have to pick up the slack. I have to do that. But there needs to be a pause, like you were saying, to say, hey, do I have to do that? Right. Oh, am I carrying some load that is not mine? Or maybe should should we be sharing this and holding hands together, moving forward? That comes a, a little bit with vulnerability again and some psychological safety. Yes. Yeah. Because you have to be psychologically safe. Tell me a little bit about psychological yeah. safety. What does that look like? Yeah. What is that? Exactly where that story goes to was that Kelly didn't feel like in that moment. I could see the moment still in my head. And again, this was eight years ago when she finally relaxed and felt like it was okay to share what she was concerned about. And she wasn't going to be accused of something. She wasn't going to be judged for it. I wasn't going to be arguing with her about it. It was okay to feel that way. Um, And that's really what psychological safety is. It's that you create a relationship where you both feel heard and valued in every interaction. Um, It doesn't mean if I'm listening to somebody and disagree principally, this is a huge problem in our world today, right? Mm. Uh, That if I disagree principally, it doesn't mean I can't still hear you make sure that you feel understood and show you that I value you. And so we talk about this thing called a quality interaction that we want to ask at the end of every conversation. Was it a quality interaction? Meaning did the other person, did, did I feel heard and understood and valued? Did the other person feel heard, understood and valued? And then did we come to a mutually agreeable next step? Um, And so we, we even do this in our clients, business clients is ask them to, measure it's a metric we use right right right. did you feel heard understood valued did they feel heard understood valued and then you leave mutually agreeable um doesn't mean i necessarily love the next step but we have mutually agreed that's where we're going right it's interesting because uh we have quantity conversations where we talk and talk and talk and talk (laughs) did he hear me did she hear me and right uh and it it gets a little bit uh, difficult because at the end you keep on realizing that you you keep you in this cycle mm-hmm. whereby you have a lot of these conversations and maybe some people go on vacations together they go on dinners yeah. together and they're having quantity conversation not quality conversation yes. when a small thing happens it triggers a, a tsunami an avalanche and mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're right. wondering why are we here yes so yeah. that's the quality conversations that are missing in there. Yeah, definitely. And it's something that uh, Google found in a pretty big study that they called a project Aristotle a number of years ago when they looked at hundreds of their teams to figure out what was the most um, important aspect of the team getting work done, being productive. Mm-hmm. And they, it came down to, they called it psychological safety, that everybody in the room felt free to share from who they were. They felt free to be who they were equally. There was a pretty equal share of conversation that happened and um, mm. that people who disagreed didn't while they might be a little anxious about it they still did it you know that they might have 10 people in a room and nine people are pointing one direction with great momentum and excitement and the one person who's the one to always raise their hand and go guys i know you love this idea i love where you're going but <laughs> one of those I'm a finance person and i gotta say <laughs> we do not have the money right now to do that you know and that instead of people you know the I guess, rejecting them or getting frustrated, they would go, oh, okay, we know we need to hear that, Joe, tell us more about it. You know, like 
what do we have to do to get there? So, and they felt free to be that. And it's something that um, has been proven a lot of other ways. There's a group called SHRM in the United States Society for Human Resource Management that does a state of the workplace survey every year of employees. And they hadn't added trust and respect as a factor. They're measuring over a hundred factors every year until about five years ago, added it for the first time. And they asked two things. Number one, what's most important for your work relation, for your work environment to have. And uh, they found trust and respect to be number one and number two, the first year they did the study. They also asked, what are you most displeased with at work? Um, And they found trust and respect to be number one and number two. Hmm as well. And it was number one and number two. I think there was one year it was number three in the last five years straight. So they'd never added it. And they finally did in 2015. And it's been in the top two or three ever since. Consistently so, for the past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so this is crucial to have in any relationship. Yeah, if yeah. you're finding that maybe a relationship is not working out well, so couples need to check how are their trust levels? Do they, mm-hmm. do they trust each other? And more often, sometimes couples joke around and you'd hear couples say, well, I'm not giving my husband my password to my phone. Or, I'm not giving my wife my password to my phone. <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with my wife? Because my wife has access to my all my passwords, my phone and everything. And we're thinking, I, I don't know. Does it mean we trust more? We trust less? I don't know. But these are small little things that you can see. And sometimes you may think that you're successful in the area of trust and maybe you're not. But it has to be that quality conversation where you have and you intentionally survey, how are we in trust? Because like you were saying earlier on, if trust increases, it means relationship quality increases. If trust, trust decreases, Absolutely. it's directly proportionally, it's directly related. So psychological safety comes with that trust in there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, when we are talking about trust, if a couple doesn't trust, or hasn't built collaboration, or their relationship is not productive, it would also mean that there's some toxic behaviors in there. Mm, yeah. Um, it means that there's some things that need to be rooted out. If we mm. dig in there, we'll find some stuff in there. Mm. How do we, where do we begin? We're trying to figure out, okay, where are we? How do we identify these behaviors? And how do we address these things what is a toxic behavior in any case? Mm. How do we identify it and how do we pull it out? Yeah, that's good. Well, I think I think there's two types of toxic behavior. Um, one is a lot more overt, meaning what do we always fight about? <laughs> if there's something that we constantly <laughs> fight about, there's something toxic there that's embedded in the way that we interact. What we found, though, um, is we work mostly in a we're coaching mostly family business owners, um, also do medical practices, which is an interesting uh, similarities <laughs> and differences. But um, family, there's so much overlap from the family to the business, right? Mm. That uh, the relationships affect each other a lot more dramatically. And um, so it's what we fight about, but it's also what we've given up on, right? Mm. That someplace where we have become stagnant and we've stopped and just resigned to something, um, there's something toxic there too. So um, it's usually something we fought about. There's also a another unique thing I'll see. I call it filibustering. <laughs> <laughs> when we disagree, if we find ourselves, like you said, just talking, 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 talking until somebody just kind of relents, that's where there's a communication cycle that's unhealthy. Um, so you, the, you're both not being heard. You're right. both not being able to communicate. Yes, absolutely. Which is a great check. 
good check for me to walk away and go, did I, did my wife feel heard? Did she feel understood? I'm good at the understanding thing. I don't know that I'm always good at the valuing thing. You know, ah. I can repeat back and say, okay, this is what I hear you saying. And they'll go, yes, which is, which helps people feel valued. But I don't always meet the, provide the level of kind of empathy, maybe necessary there. Mm. So the mental game, I'm the better at than the heart game. <laughs> <laughs> and and sometimes men tend to be blamed at the heart game. Yeah. I mean, it's not an absolute statement, but men yeah, tend to be blamed I, at the heart I game. I tend to agree with that. <laughs> I find it too sometimes more often when we have these um, conversations, she holds out a problem. My my, I want to pounce at that problem. Let's yeah, fix it. Right. Let's, you know, this is what you do. You know, this is another way you could do it. You know what? I was just reading a book about that. I was just having a conversation and we uh -huh. jump on that. But really, yeah. am I hearing her? Am I understanding her or valuing what she's going through? Right. Am I empowering her to actually fix the problem on her yep. own? Yeah. Yeah, I have to stop. Just like you're saying when um, somebody brings something to me, and I tell this to people I'm coaching a lot, is to, to say, okay, when this person brought that to you, what do you think they were looking for? And I'll do that when Kelly starts to share something with me. Especially you know, pause. That's a good question. For, you know, yeah. that's a good question. If somebody brings up something, what were they looking for? If I ask myself that question and I'm able to answer that, that's a good question to ask. Yeah, good. I'm glad you like that. Because yeah. what it does to me is all is inherently my response. If I try to jump in a fix, it's I assume they're asking me to fix it or to tell them what to do, or for counsel. Oftentimes, though, more often, they're just looking to vent about a frustration, looking for somebody to kind of empathize with them and say, man, I can see how that would bother you. I'm really sorry that's happening. And that's that might be it. Hmm. And to me, that feels like not much. <laughs> you know, I want to do more. Right. <laughs> I have I more. <laughs> I have more I can bring to this. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it is what more could you bring than for somebody to leave feeling heard and valued? Right. Um, and, and sometimes really that kind of looked like just a hug. Yeah. That's something that just looked like just sitting down and just listening. Yeah. That could and be more than present. coming with this genius idea to <laughs> fix whatever the problem is. Right. So we want to have... We, fixing can be a lot more harmful, right? So. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that fixing can be a lot more harmful. We tend to think of fixing. Sometimes we don't even fix the problem. We want to fix the person. Right. Mm -hmm. We want to fix the person. We want them to change. Instead of looking at the problem, putting it on the table and addressing the problem, we're saying you should have, you should have, as opposed right. to some ideas. Okay, it's here on the table. So what is the best way based on your personality and who you are to address this? Maybe that may not even be the time to talk about that. Right. Yeah. What was a person looking for? Mm -hmm. So we're here now. We're in a relationship and we understand and we know that we need to collaborate. We need to be able to trust each other. We want to have a productive relationship. And uh, by the way, productive is not measured by another couple. It is measured by your own. I just want to put that out there because sometimes yeah, yeah. you have this idea where people look on social media or look at the couple next door or the couple that they go to church with or the couple mm -hmm. they go to work with. And they're hearing all these beautiful stories and they're thinking, well, my husband and I, or my wife and I, are not doing that. Does that mean our marriage is failing? What, what's, right. what's going on? Hmm. So I just want to put that out there. That can be a dangerous thing to do. Define what your measure is and use that as your measure. Right. It doesn't mean that you won't have mentors. 
mm-hmm. or coaches or whatever right. the case may be. Yeah. But so now you want to build that culture of trust, loyalty in the relationship. How do we do that? How do we walk away and say, hey, okay, all right. So how do we we listen to that podcast? Now we want to build that culture of loyalty and trust in the relationship. And this could be in how we do things at home in parenting. That's another yeah. big one. In right. in-laws, that's another big one. Yeah. How do we create that trust, collaboration? productivity yeah. in our relation how, how do we begin kids where do we go yeah i think it's another good question right uh, it's asking people and i've done this differently depending on the context of my wife my kids um somebody i'm leading when it's somebody i'm leading at work i'll go to them and say hey i want to ask you this question would you can we set a time to talk about it that's important to give especially uh people who are more internal processors is to say i'm going to ask you this question and we'll come back to it External processors often have more ability to just give it to you then, but to say, how can I lead you better? Hmm. What could I be doing that would be better for you as a leader? And allowing them some time to think about it and come back with some thoughtful response and setting the setting the expectation of, I don't want to talk about anything else in this conversation except how can I better lead and help you? Um, and I want your really honest feedback. I'm not asking for you to you know just pat me on the back. That's not the goal. It's to figure out how I can do that best for you because ever leading, I think the hardest lesson for me in leadership was learning that how to customize and tailor my leadership to each person's own personality, learning style, um, learning situation where they were and their own competency. So, um, that's really hard, mm. but that question gets to it. And after you ask it a few times, people start to get a lot more honest with you. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> The first time you're asking is like, um, uh, is it a trick? Uh, Maybe there are threes too, so they want to deliver. (laughs) At home, it's a little different in that it's not that much different though. I've gone to my kids and said, hey, how could I be a better father to you? What could I do differently? Um, The way I communicate, the way that I um, lead you, love you, right? What is it that I'm not doing that you wish I would do? Um, Where is it that you would say, hmm? this would help me more, you know, and that's hard for kids to get honest too. But I found the same thing after a few times, they realized dad's creating an environment that's psychologically safe right now to Mm. share that he's not asking, you know, to just be patted on the back. He really wants to know. Um, And same thing with Kelly as a wife, you know, she's, I'm asking her, how do I communicate with you better? What could I do better? Where are you feeling like "Mm, he doesn't quite hear me here? doesn't quite mm. get me there. Um, and let's so really, it's, it's, it's really asking the question mm-hmm. and hearing what they are looking for. Yeah. And doing it in a time that's away from a situation. I think that's the really important part. Mm. If I pick a time that's like, we're not fighting about this right now, you know, we're disagreeing about this. It hasn't been, there hasn't been a problem where somebody's dropped the ball lately as a direct report that I'm going to come to them and say, how can I lead you better? And they're going to assume that I mean, oh, I screwed up last week. And so I'm talking about that. <laughs> they understand, hey, things have been good lately. It's not about that. It's just in general, I want to be able to. Um, and it doesn't feel like we need to be afraid to be honest in this conversation. So mm. the timing of that is really important. The timing of that. And I, I often, when I talk to couples and people that are in conflict, I always say the most important conversation is the conversation after the conflict. 
Right. Because during the conflict, yeah, yeah, emotions great. are flaring up, everything is heated up, and everybody is being defensive or somebody is being avoidant. Mm-hmm. You won't really get to the core of whatever the problem is. Emotionally charged, right? Yeah, everything is charged up. But mm-hmm. if you wait after the after the conversation, when you reflect and say, hey, okay, this is where we were. This is what we did. How can we do better? No, not how can we do better. How can I? So you're putting it on them to tell you. So which means you got to be able to right. deliver to some certain extent and listen, not just to say, mm-hmm. well, yeah, but you know, the reason why I did that is because, yeah. no, no, that's not the time. Yeah. Exactly. That's not the time. You have to listen and to be able to uh, uh, take it in and see how you can execute those things that they've yeah. communicated with you. And they need to be able to reflect it back in a way that they they give you the big head nod. Like, reflect. Yes, so watch for yeah, those cues. Yeah. Right, what I'm saying. So what I'm hearing you say is when you are in a stressed time and um, I might bring something to you, if I think, hey, they've got a lot on their plate right now, instead of just emailing and saying, hey, can you take care of this? It's better if I give you a call and say, I know you've got a lot on your plate got something I need to ask you about and just preempting the conversation. So they feel safe to kind of say no, or I can't right now um, is what you would prefer me to do. You know, yeah. like, absolutely. Okay. You know, so, and when they're given the head nod, big one, they go, yes, yes, that's, that would help. You know, then, you know, okay, we've reached some understanding. All right. Okay. So I, I, I got through, she got through, he got through. Okay. Got There's through. that mutual place of where you're working together and that's really a productive relationship and the trust in that conversation goes up very high um but it goes up even more when you follow through and do it right and oftentimes they won't realize it in the moment until they feel valued later and then they come back and go hey i just realized you just did that thing you know wow that was great you know so it's good follow through is huge you know well keith um we can go on and on with this conversation and I think um, we all understand and know that trust and collaboration, loyalty, really is good in contributing to a productive relationship. And every couple needs to pursue that. Now, uh, Keith, where can we find more information about you? How can we link up and connect with you? Yeah, certainly. Um, I am on Facebook. If you want to catch me there, certainly you can do that. Or Instagram. Um, at On Instagram, it's at K Dub Wilson six, K Dub Wilson six. That's kind of a nickname I captured at once at one point. Um, and then Facebook is Keith Dash Wilson. So um, catch me there. You could certainly. I think LinkedIn's the same thing. So um, happy to kind of chat there. Keith Dash Wilson on LinkedIn. Um, it's a really good place. And uh, K Dub Wilson six at Instagram. Oh, yeah, so. That will all be on the show notes. Keith, thank you so much for coming through. As always, if you want to get more information and resources, just go check out relationshipfactor.org. If you like the episode or like the podcast, hey, consider sharing with your mom, your dad, your, anybody else that would listen. Hey, and while you're at it, if you like the show, go ahead and give us a five-star rating. Thank you so much, Keith, for coming through. Thank you. You take care. Bye-bye.